We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 1, as we continue our study of God's Word here uh, in this book, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to uh, pick it up at verse 21, the section we had last Lord's Day, 21 through 23. And then we'll be reading through verse 5 of chapter 2. So Colossians 1, 21 through chapter 2, verse 5. Let us hear then God's word. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible argument. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As far as the reading of God's word, I invite you, encourage you to leave the word open as we make our way through this passage. Let's bow in prayer again. Father, you breathe this word in through the work of your Holy Spirit into the Apostle Paul. May that word now come to our hearts, come to our souls, come into our lives, mold us, shape us, and fill us so that we might be, Father, the reflections of Christ in this world. For even as we have read, Christ is in us. What an amazing thought 
What an amazing truth. What an amazing reality for us to live. In Christ's name, again, God's people say, Amen. So two points from this passage that seem to be the, the kind of the key of where Paul is going in this section. First of all, that Paul realizes that his work, that his ministry is about a fully known word of God. A fully known word of God. And secondly, that it is about when one fully proclaims the word of God, then one has to speak about the mystery that is revealed. So our second point will be a revealed mystery. First of all then, when Paul is speaking about the fact that it is a fully revealed word, look down at the end of verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. Now how does that come about? How is Paul saying the word of God becomes fully known. Well, for Paul, it meant two things. For Paul, it meant his sufferings. See, Paul never sees his sufferings, his circumstances in life, apart from a means by which God makes his word known. The sufferings that Paul is dealing with are the means by which the gospel is proclaimed through his life. He understands that. He, he is never a, oh, woe be me, I got so many problems, I got so many issues. Oh, this is just horrible. Oh, oh, this is just bad. Oh, I got this and I got that and I got this. Oh, Paul won't mind telling you what he's dealing with. But it's never in the sense of complaining. It's never in the sense that, oh, this is so unfair. Whatever Paul deals with, whether it's a beating, whether it's an imprisonment, which is what he's dealing with as he writes Colossians, regardless of what it is, whether it's a shipwreck, whether it's hunger, Whatever it is, he always looks at it as being, this is a means by which God's word can be fully known. I don't think we, we think that way often in life. I, I don't think our concept is the problems or difficulties or struggles we go through are there as a means by which the gospel might be promoted. But Paul does. And part of that of maturing in Christ is learning to realize that God brings circumstances in our lives as a means for the gospel, as a means for Christ to be proclaimed. Note, Paul never says, oh, it's not really happening. No, it's not really taking place. Oh, no, 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 that, you know, I, I, it, it, it's just in your mind. Just move on. Now, there's the reality that we suffer. There's the reality of problems. There's the reality of affliction. But these are the means by which God strengthens the witness of the gospel. 
The second thing is that Paul never sees his suffering as Paul's suffering. See, that's, the, that's what's behind this whole thing. If you look with me at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And at first glance we may say, Christ's suffering on the cross was not enough. Paul is not talking, you see, here about salvation. He's not talking about the suffering of Christ for our atonement. What Paul is speaking of here is that when you and I suffer for the sake of the gospel, that is a suffering of Christ. Why? For the sake of his body, the church. We are the body of Christ. You and I. So when somebody causes us affliction, when somebody causes us suffering, when somebody persecutes us, it's not us. It's the body of Christ. And if it's the body of Christ, then in reality, it is Christ. This, this is part of what Paul is in this passage is, is revealing to this church in Colossae. That, that we, we often make, I would put it this way, too big a distinction between Christ the head and the body. We sometimes act as if the head is severed from the body. Well, here's Christ, he's the head, and here's our body over here. But it's not a severed head. Christ is the head of his body. His body. That's you and I. Paul learned this very well. Remember when he's on the road to Damascus? I think it's Acts chapter 9. And, and he's there uh, to go to Damascus to arrest some of those who are believers. Paul is not yet converted. And the voice comes from heaven. And what does the voice say? Saul, Saul, why do you, what? Why do you persecute those Christians? Why do you persecute those people who follow me? Why do you persecute believers? Why do you persecute the people who are a part of the way? That's not what Jesus says from heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus saw that Saul, Paul's persecution of those people in Jerusalem and Damascus was a persecution of himself. And that is what Paul is saying. <laughs> I rejoice in my suffering. To be so identified with Christ that one suffers for Christ's sake. No, not for Christ's sake. One suffers and Christ suffers. Filling up the afflictions. When the world comes with its persecution, as it was doing to this church at Colossa, 
It's anger is not the individual. The anger here is not at Paul. Paul's not in prison because he's Paul. Paul is in prison. Paul is suffering because of Christ. That's who the real target is. That's what's really going on in the days that will come in the church, in this New Testament church in Rome. That persecution was not against individual people. It was really a persecution of Christ. And Paul sees that suffering as a means by which the word of God might become fully known. Secondly, the word of God becomes fully known through, verse 25, Paul's ministry, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul sees his calling in life as a responsibility from God, as a stewardship from God. As something that God entrusts to Paul that Paul now has to take care of, handle correctly, so that the word of God might be fully known. And understand, as we were last week, okay, that this ministry is not some ordained ministry. It's not like, you know, today we call, he's the minister of the church. Well, that's an ordained position. Here, ministry means that which has been given to me by God. That which God has entrusted to me that I am now responsible for. In that sense, you see, we are all ministers of the gospel. We are all called and given the glorious message of the gospel. God gives it to us. He places it in our hearts and in our lives that we might be good stewards of that gospel. And how are we good stewards of the gospel? By guarding it, protecting it, keeping it to ourselves? No, by making the gospel fully known to those who are without Christ. And if in that process... We suffer, that also then is part of making the word of God fully known. And it's interesting because now Paul says, okay, now now let me explain to you what a fully known gospel really is. Let, Let me reveal to you what the real mystery that is going on here. Now once again... In the background of all of this, there in Colossa are these false teachers that are going around with all their sort of secret knowledge and their little mysticism and their uh, experiential out-of-this-world type stuff, this uh, putting down the material, putting down the physical, and, and exalting only the spiritual the, the idea that somehow only a very small group of people will ever come to know the truth. 
And that truth is known, you see, by, by your work, by your effort, by your searching your inner heart, by your searching your inner soul. Now, if all of that sounds like kind of like the mysticism of today and New Age sort of stuff, you've got it. It's the same kind of stuff. It's that, you know, spirituality okay, type of stuff of, of Tom Cruise that goes around. Right? That, that looking within, and by looking within, you will uncover the truth. But only some people actually really get that. The rest of the masses are just without it. So Paul here, in contrast to that false teaching, is saying the great mystery has indeed been revealed. So join me at verse 27. Excuse me, verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It was hidden. Whatever this mystery is going to be, Paul is saying, yes, it was hidden. It was hidden for a period of time. Not in the sense that the false teachers are thinking about it. Not in the sense in which New Age thinks about it. The church of spirituality, not the way in which they think about it today. But it was hidden. But God now has revealed it. Now it has become fully known. God had a plan. God made prophecies through the prophets. But now the mystery has been revealed. Verse 27. To them God chose... To make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Paul adds in here something about Gentiles. Now why does he do that? Well, this whole mysticism, inner knowledge type stuff was not so much from the pagans. But it was brewed up by and out of Jewishness. And there was sort of the undertone, you see. We're Jewish. We got the real knowledge. You Gentiles, you're never going to get there. You're never going to achieve it because, you see, we're God's chosen people. And we as God's chosen people, we're the ones with the inner knowledge. Well, not even all of us as Jewish people, but some of us got this inner knowledge. And you see, that, 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 that's what's percolating behind this book. This teaching that somehow some get it, and basically the Gentiles will never get it. If you go back through where we've been, notice how often Paul comes back and, and is, I'm the minister to the Gentiles. I bring the word fully known to out there, we're, we're about reconciling everyone, right? Jew and Gentile to Jesus Christ. So here, Paul picks up on this, right? About the Gentiles. 
here is this amazing mystery revealed. The mystery is Christ in you. Verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Mystery, which is what? Christ in you. Yes, Gentiles, you. You have Christ living in you. You, believers, have Christ living in you. Christ resides in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's not out there. The head is not absent from the body. Say, well, I'm just a palm. Are you part of the body then? Then Christ is in you. Well, I'm, I'm just a little pinky. Are you part of the body? Then Christ is in you. I'm just a kneecap. Is that part of the body? Or is the head severed from that body? No, Christ is that living head. You are part of his body. Christ is in you. Just, just step back and, and, and understand how, how amazing this is, especially, especially if you've been one of these Gentiles, okay, and, and you lived in a society, you lived in a community in which those by one race thought they were superior to you because of their race. So number one, you're kind of beaten down into the ground to, be, to start with. Then... You are told as this race of people, you'll never be what we are. Because you're Gentiles. And here comes Paul. I want to make known to you fully the word of God. Here is something that has been a mystery hidden for generations and ages. Oh, it's hinted at, isn't it, throughout the Old Testament. It's alluded to. It's there. But here it is, Gentiles. Christ lives in you. Christ. Now go back. Where were we two weeks ago? Who is Christ? He is the image of the invisible God. He's the one who is the Lord of all creation as the maker, as the sustainer, as the upholder. All the majesty, all the majesty dwells in Christ. Now, where does Christ dwell? See, think of it. All the majesty of the fullness of God dwells in Christ. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Where does Christ dwell? Right here. Right here. In you and in I. 
See, this is the message of the gospel that needs to go forth. That a believer in Jesus Christ. Is that somehow a lower tier person? There's not these levels. It's not like there are Christians in whom Christ doesn't dwell. There aren't Christians in whom Christ partially dwells. There are only Christians in whom Christ fully dwells. Wow. What a message. What a glorious truth. Notice how Paul says this. Which is Christ in you. What is that? That's the hope of glory. (laughs) See, it's not my works. I'm not going to attain glory by what I do. I'm not going to get there because of Bob Van Manen. I'm not going to get there because I've done this or I've done that or I've done this. I'm not going to get there because, you know, I went to a worship service on May 17. I'm not going to get there because I took communion on that day. I'm not going to get there because I did this or that or I put in the tithe money this morning and I gave an offering. I'm I'm not going to get there because of those things. I'm not going to get there because I'm Dutch. I'm not going to get there because I'm a minister. I'm not going to get there outside of Christ. He is the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me, is that which guarantees the fact that we will live in glory forever. This is the mystery, and it's a glorious mystery that God has revealed. God has made this known. We'd never find this out. We'd never discover this. What have we been saying over these weeks in Colossians? We run the other way. We'd want nothing to do with God. God comes and reveals himself to us in Jesus Christ in order that he might reveal to us the glorious truth of believing in the gospel, which comes what? From God as a gift, not that which I work towards, not that which I have to go through some spiritual exercises to attain, not that which I have to go off and meditate and light a candle and do this and that in order that I can get some inner peace. No, it's God who brings the faith. It's God who brings the Holy Spirit. It is God who brings Christ in me so that I might know there is the hope of eternal glory. Him, verse 28, we proclaim. This is the proclamation. This is why Paul continually comes back over and over and over again. Christ crucified. Christ crucified. This is what we preach. This is what we proclaim. Why? Because it's only Christ. And only through Christ. Only in Christ. Only in that 
relationship with Christ. See, if, if Christ is in us, that means there has to be a relationship between us and Christ. There has to be the relationship as there is the relationship between head and body. As that connection is there. So there has to be this relationship to Christ. Christ be, being a Christian isn't the exercise of some duties. It isn't the exercise of, of some religious rites or some ceremonies. Christianity is about a relationship to Christ. He is the hope of glory. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. See, this is Paul's passion. This is, this is to be our passion. This is to be the church's passion. That all come to know and understand this glorious truth. Not just that some believers get it. No. We work tirelessly. So that from our youngest children to our oldest saint, we are continually striving with all his energy that everyone gets to grasp the greatness of his love. But there is more. That's why we went into chapter 2, kind of an artificial chapter break once again, as we've talked about before. What else is there besides this full hope of glory? Notice Paul as we come down now to verse 2. Paul is talking about his struggle for those in Laodicea, for those there in Colossia who he's never seen, he's never been there, yet they are part of his heart, they are part of his, his passion. What? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Full assurance. Paul doesn't want any one of us. He doesn't want any one of those Colossians. He doesn't want any one of those believers in Laodicea. He doesn't want any one of those that, that have come to know Christ. He doesn't want any one of you or I, us, to not be fully assured of Christ and of our hope of glory. Go back with me to the book of Ephesians. It's interesting, but Paul wrote about this again when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, which is which is. Only a matter of maybe a hundred miles from Colossa. It's kind of interesting. Notice when we come to Ephesians chapter 3. He's just talked about Christ being the cornerstone. He's just talked about being one in Christ. Then he says, for this reason, verse 1 chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, notice the similarity of language, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom, here's the key words, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Boldness, confidence. This is how the Lord desires for us to become mature in Christ. That we go forward in life with a boldness, with a confidence of what? Of Christ in us, the hope of glory. That our basis of our salvation is the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ. That's why you see, there's no way when we get... You know, we die, we face the Lord. He's going to say, oh, no, you can't come in. That would be to turn away his son. That would be to turn away Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is Christ in us. He's never going to turn away his son. Which father of you? Having a son, if he asked for bread, would give him a stone. It's not my heart. I always accept my son. That's Christ in you. Christ in me. The hope of glory. The riches of full assurance. But there's more. Verse 3. In whom are hidden in whom, who's the whom? Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, now just think what, how Paul is writing this. He knows what's going on in Colossae. He knows these false teachers who are pushing their own little agenda with their own little uh, fake wisdom and fake spirituality and, and all of that stuff. He understands all that. And he's saying to the Colossians, listen, you want to know where it's really at? You want to really know where wisdom and knowledge can be found? They're found in Christ. Do you have Christ? Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a believer, Paul. Then all the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge are yours in Christ. 
They're yours. You mean, you mean I, I don't have to go this other direction? I don't have to seek some sort of spiritualism? No, no, no. You got it in Christ. Yeah, but isn't there some more wisdom, some, some greater wisdom and understanding to gain? No, no, it's all in Christ. Isn't there some greater truth to latch on to? No, it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. All that you need is in Christ. All the wisdom you need, all you need, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, wisdom is the applying of truth to situations, the way. I am the way. I am the wisdom. I am the truth. I am all you need for life. You don't need to be listening to these other guys. Hence, I say this, verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Yeah, it sounds really good. Oh, yeah, it sounds really captivating. Yes, it's really enthralling. Yes, the message that the Church of Scientology today puts out is, whoo, man, there's a draw there. There's no doubt about that. Paul is saying that. But it's an empty drawing. There's nothing there. There is no wisdom. There is no truth to be gained because all truth and all wisdom is found in Christ, which you, as a believer, already possess. This is this glorious message that Paul says, this is what drives me. This is what motivates me. That this truth that God has revealed to me is a truth now that I want all men to know and to understand, to proclaim that gospel, to proclaim that message. That they too, through God's sovereign work of grace, might come to this full maturity. Paul would probably argue he's not there yet. <laughs> Paul would not say, oh yeah, I got it all. No, but he knows what the truth is. But he's striving towards that. I press on, I press on, Philippians. Towards the high calling. What's the high calling? Christ. In you and I. In a few moments when we come to this table. We're going to be reminded through the words that we have in the form. That, that this table is not about a physical eating of Christ. This table is not about the, the taking in of the physical body and blood of Christ. But this table is a reminder. Not only of Jesus' spiritual presence. But of his indwelling. See, think of it of the fact when we take the bread and we take the cup. We eat and drink. It's that physical stuff is now in us. Part of the meaning behind the supper is that when we come to this table, 
not in a physical way, but spiritually, we're being reminded, that's right, Christ is in me. As sure as I swallowed that bread, as sure as I swallowed that juice, as sure as that is in me, Christ is in me. That's why you say, we say, call this a celebration. We, we don't, we're not just looking back and going, oh yeah, Christ died on the cross. Oh yes, Christ died on the cross. Glory be, Christ died on the cross. Why? So that Christ can be. I'm celebrating Christ's presence in each one of us as a believer, the body of Christ. Oh, the power cross and what it accomplishes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your full word. There is nothing lacking. There is nothing missing. There's nothing partial about that which you have revealed to us. All that we need for life and godliness is found in your word. There's not some great hidden internal truth we have to search out. No, the truth is Christ. We have to mature in that. We have to grow in that. We have to deepen in that. But it's not, Father, that it isn't there. Thank you for being a God of grace, for being a God of revelation, for Christ in us, the hope of glory. In his name we pray and God's people say, amen.